Hi there, this is Austin Hetzler, the pastor of Christ the Rock Church of Elyria, Ohio. We at Christ the Rock are humbled and grateful to be a part of your sanctification today as you listen to this sermon. But at the same time, we want to encourage you to be a member of a good local church and not to allow online sermons to replace the local church and to benefit from the life of that church and to give your spiritual gifts back to that church. Having said that, our website is www.christrockchurch.com. If you go there, you can find sermons, blogs, and other resources as well as our location and service times. You can also listen to the sermons on Bible Thumping Wingnut, Podbean, iTunes, Google Play Music, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Stitcher. I, along with the membership of Christ the Rock Church, pray that this sermon will be a blessing to you. start with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we have to come together as a body to delve deeper into your word, to learn more about what it says about your finances. I pray, Lord, that you just give us a a heart to understand, a a willingness to uh, be convicted where we need to be just a overall overall understanding of just what your word says about finances uh where we just pray that you give your people's an ear ear to hear and we just pray that you you be with us during this time as we study and learn in your son's name amen quick recap in part one we talked about what the bible says about money at least a little bit about what it says about money. In part two, we talked about debt and bar- borrowing, what you should be doing if you're a single person living on your own, what you should be doing if every month you're in the red with your finances, and finally, how to put into action managing your money. In part three, we talked about one's changed heart after conversion in relations to money or lack thereof. And then now in part four, I want to start off the top by saying in, in this semi kind of ish detour from the Christian model of giving, but not really, as we will see, we're going to talk about Old Testament tithing slash giving and toward the end, how this compares to the Old Testament, what we are to give, what is the requirement, etc. This will not be exhaustive. This particular lesson is more of an overview, and I'm sure there will be much I don't say that could have been said. But again, this is just an overview. Um, so how much are we to give? I know in my life, there's been great debate as to how much to give. Do we give 10%? If we do, do we do it pre-tax or post-tax? What about tax returns? Anybody uh, tithing off those bonuses? Do we adjust for raises that we get in our lives? Is $10 too little considering the nation that we live in? Is $1,000 a month too, too much considering the nation of inflation we live in? Let's start to tackle these ideas as we go. So first, where did tithing come from? I should have put this at the start, actually. Um, the first mention of tithing 
as many of you probably know, comes from Genesis and the story of Abraham and Melchizedek. Granted, the concept of offering was already happening pre-Mosaic law. Think Cain and Abel, that sacrifice, that was a voluntary offering as far as we know of. Uh, considering Cain's offer was unaccept unacceptable, the one thing we can conclude about that offering is God did require an animal offering and not, and not fruit of the ground. But we see nowhere where the offer itself was mandated, as far as we could tell. Then Noah provides an offering once he leaves the ark and thanks for surviving the worldwide flood. Still not required. Uh, then Abraham does a few offerings before finally, in Genesis 14, the word tithe is actually mentioned. Uh, in Genesis 14, 17 to 24, and I'm going to butcher these names. I've listened to them. I tried it's just not, it's just not going to happen. Then after the return from the defeat of the king and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Sheva, that is the king's valley, and Melchizedek, the king of Salem, Salem, brought out bread and wine. Now he was a priest of God most high, and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, who has, hand, who has handed over your enemies to you. And he gave him a tenth of everything. Then the king of Saddam said to Abram, Give the people to me and take the possession for your, possessions for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have sworn to the Lord God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, so that you do not say, I have made Abram rich. I will take nothing except what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me, Aner, Eskel, and Mamre. Let them take their share. So by what command was Abraham forced to give 10%? He wasn't. All scripture says is, and he gave him a tenth of everything. And so what Abraham did was spontaneous, this time it was a one-time act, free and voluntary from his heart, of gratitude and devotion to the Lord for helping him defeat his enemies. Also consider Abraham tied out of the spoils that he acquired after a particular battle he fought. He did not tie out of his own regular income or property. Abraham's act of tithing would be akin to you winning the lottery, a mega jackpot, or receiving a work bonus and then tithing 10% off of it. After this, after this occurrence of actually reading about someone tithing, we read about another example of someone tithing, and this was in Genesis 28, 18 through 22. So Jake, Jacob got, uh, got up early in the morning and took the stone that he had placed as a support for his head and set it up as a memorial stone and poured oil on its top. Then he named that place Bethel, but previously the name of the city had been Luz. Jacob also made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me on this journey that I take, and give me food to eat and garments to wear, and I return to my father's house in safety, then the Lord my God, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone which I have set up as a memorial stone will be God's house, and of everything you give me, I will surely give you a give you a tenth, I give a tenth to you. So this one is a little more of a head scratcher because Jacob makes a vow to the Lord that if the Lord be uh, be with him and keeps him through his journey. Not only then will Jacob allow God to be Jacob's God, 
But to sweeten the pot, all that God gives Jacob, Jacob is going to be overly kind and give a tenth back to God. Seems like a deal for God. You you give me these things, you keep me safe, and I will uh, give you a little bit back. Not only does God get a residual income from everything he, that he provides to Jacob, but then, God, but then he gets permission from Jacob to allow God to be his God. Obviously, I say this sarcastically. Jacob's attitude and behavior is probably for a different study, but needless to say, his attitude and request was probably more than likely displeasing to God. But the tithe Jacob would give would be voluntary, though more of a bribe-ish. Um, it was a voluntary bribe, per se. So still at this time, uh, there's been no required tithing. All tithing so so far has been voluntary. And by the way, the concept of tithe was not limited to the Bible. It was not limited to those who believed in the true God. In fact, the concept of giving a tenth to a deity was a common pagan custom because you have ten toes and ten fingers. Basically, man used ten as the foundation for all his mathematical systems. Ten was a symbol of totality. It was a symbol of completeness, so people would give 10% to their gods or, and whatnot. But what, so it wasn't necessarily a founding biblical um, term. And so commonly throughout pagan religions, when worship, worshipers of pagan deities wanted to give an offering to their deity, they would give a tenth because it symbolized the giving of everything, the surrender of all, completeness and wholeness. So ten was a common number of offering. Two deities, even before Abraham, and the idea of giving a tenth was not new in the days of the uh, Hebrew patriarchs. And furthermore, God did not institute giving a tenth in the book of Genesis, as we have seen so far. Pre-Mosaic law, there was no mention as the command to give 10%. The first sort of tithe mandated in Genesis was Genesis 41, in verses 33 to 34, it reads, So now let Pharaoh look for a man discerning and wise and appoint him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh take action to appoint overseers in charge of the land and let him take a fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt as a tax in the seven years of abundance. So this is actually where you have the first real life IRS agents because they are now the overseers, and these overseers were supposed to make sure that the 20% tithe tax was collected to fund the national government, the wealth of the nation. Um, obviously, this ended up working out very well for the nation of Egypt, as they were able to persevere during the Great Famine, and even had other nations coming to, to them to buy from them. Think Joseph's brothers and that whole story. Uh, so prior to the Mosaic Law, the only mandatory tithing, per se, was in Egypt, uh, now, post-Mosaic Law is where we start seeing the mandate of tithing, required giving of the 10%. In Leviticus 27.30, it says, Now all the tithe of the land, of the seed of the land, or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. So you had a taxation of, of a tenth, which supplied the needs of the Levites. This was because they had no land or territory. If you remember when the land was split up, they were not given land in the divvying up. They were given the prized possession of being priests of the Lord. They were the full-time priests. So these people worked for the people as they were the government and basically ran the nation and made decisions. And so they needed to be supported. 
And so a tenth went to them each year for support. Now remember, God says 10% of all your land and seed and fruit is mine. This concept of government is a theocracy. A theocracy is a nation run by God. A democracy is a nation run by the people. And in a nation run by the people, which is a democracy, we choose our own leaders, and then we pay our taxes to support them. And in a theocracy, God chooses his leaders, and we support them. And in case you wonder what it would be like to live in a theocracy, um, wait for the millennial kingdom. This will be a theocracy in which Christ rules and reigns, chooses his own leaders, and, pay home, and we pay homage to them and him. But in Israel, you had a theocracy. God was king. God was the supreme ruler. God was sovereign, and he mediated his rule through the plurality of priests, and they needed to be supported. So it was the Lord's, and it was the, for the support of his theoc 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 theocratic kingdom. 10% of everything had to be given, and there were some formulas that if you needed to give money instead of seed and land, you could do that, but you couldn't give money instead of animals, and there were some prescriptions with regards to that that are laid out in Leviticus, which you can study on your own, because that is a book. That is definitely a book. But the only thing you need to know is the first tithe was 10% of the people's produce and animals, and this belonged to God. This is not free will giving. This is required giving. And if you didn't give it, you were robbing God. And what does Malachi 3.8 say? Will a man rob God? Yet you robbed me and you robbed me in your tithes. You haven't given me the offerings that I prescribed. That's robbery. Then there was a second tithe. This is found in Deuteronomy 12 and verses 10, 11, 17, and 18. Or you can just read 10 through 18. It says, Then it shall come about that the place in which the Lord your, your God will choose for his name to dwell, there you shall bring everything that com I command of you, your burnt offerings and your sacrifices, your tithes and the contributions of your hand, and all your choice vowed offerings which you will vow to the Lord. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your sons and daughters, your male and female slaves, and the Levite who is within your gates, since he has no portion or inheritance with you. You are not allowed to eat within your gates to tither your grain, new wine or oil, or the firstborn of your herd or flock, or any, other, or any of your vowed offerings which you vow, or your voluntary offerings are the contribution of your hand. But you shall eat them before the Lord your God in the place which the Lord your God will choose, you and your son and daughter, and your male and female slaves, and the Levite who is within your gates, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God in all your undertakings." So what's happening here is God is ordaining all kinds of festivals and feasts, all kinds of national celebrations and ceremonies like Passover and all the rest of the things that went with it. So this tithe, this tithe was for the national religious worship, for their fellowship to keep the nation one. So we have two tithes so far, both required giving, both 10%, one for the Levites and one for the religious festivals and whatnot. Then there was a third tithe, this was a welfare tithe. Deuteronomy 14, 28 through 29 says, And at the end of every third year, you shall bring out the tithe of your produce in that year, and you shall deposit it in your town. And the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance among you, and the stranger, the orphan, and the widow who are in your town, shall come and eat and be satisfied, in order that your God may bless you in all the work of your hand, which you do. 
So did you catch that? At the end of every third year, so now you have another 10%, but this one is collected every third year. So in total, and so per year in total, you have 23, you're tithing 23.3%. And that's what the Israelites were required to give. So it's close to that 20% figure Egypt was, was required to give that we discussed before. So that's a lot of tithing. So for those who say 10% is a good number to give because Jews gave that amount, do not take into account the other tithing the Jews actually gave. A lot more than 10%. And so far it looks like pre-tax for what it's worth. Also, this giving was required. Unlike our offerings, as we discussed previously, is voluntary of the heart. This tithing was to fund the national government, basically. And why was the government there in the first place? To lead them to God, to protect them, to provide an army to secure them, to provide resources for them, to create the social character of the nation and keep them as one great people involved in religious ceremonies and meet the needs of those among them who were destitute. But guess what? There's more. Just like in America, where we're not just taxed on our payroll, we also have sales tax, profit tax, state tax, gas tax. The Jews experienced things just like this. Uh, Leviticus 19:9 through 10 reads, now, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap to the very edges of your field, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest, and you shall not glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the needy and for the stranger. I am the Lord your God. So what's going on here, the, the best way to describe this is that we can maybe call this like a profit-sharing tax, per se. The Lord was very good to these people, and, and another way to help the poor was, was, was by having the rich people, uh, the rich people in produce, share in their bounty the profit of their crops. And the Lord mandated that the corners not be harvest, harvested, so the poor could come in and harvest the corners of the field that were left, behind, uh, left and therefore share in the bounty. The Lord states, you shall not garner the gleanings of your harvest. What he is saying is as you harvest and start putting items in your wagon, if something were to fall off, you were not to pick it up. There was to, that was to be left for the poor to grab as they gleaned the fields. And if you remember, that is what Ruth was doing when she was noticed by Boaz. So part of your profit ultimately went to the poor in this fashion. And then there was another uh, tax, per se. It says in Nehemiah 10, 32 through 33, we also impose on ourselves the obligation to contribute yearly a third of a shekel for the service of the house of the Lord, for the showbread, for the continual grain offering, for the continual burnt offering, the Sabbaths, the new moons, for the appointed times, for the holy things, and for the sin offerings to make atonement for Israel and all the work of the house of our God. So this was to buy materials for this temple construction and the offerings. If you recall in Nehemiah, they were, rebuilt, they were rebuilding the temple. And then in Exodus 23, 10-11, it says, Now you shall sow your land for six years and gather it in its yield. But in the seventh year, you shall let it rest and lie uncultivated so that the needy of your people may eat and whatever they leave, the animal of the field may eat. You are to do the same with your vineyard and your olive grove. Now this last one mentioned might not be considered a tithe per se 
in the sense that you're required, you're giving a, a required amount of giving to God, but it was a requirement by God to let the land rest. It's not, it's, it's not a request, but a command. Let the land rest every seventh year. So every seventh year, they literally had no income from their normal source. They had to forfeit entire year's earnings off the land to let the land rest, the soil rejuvenate itself, so that it would produce well in the future. So they paid the 10% for the Levites, 10% for the festivals, 3% for the um, welfare every third year. The corners of the fields for the gleanings, the third, a third shekel temple tax, and then rest of the land every seventh year. And so that's a far cry from 10%. It seems like it's at least 25% plus seems to be the required giving for a Jew in the theocracy. That was not free will giving. That was taxation. That was required giving. All required giving before Moses. And then the Mosaic, Mosaic law had to do with funding the national government. And so we've talked a little bit, a little bit about required giving. Let's talk about free will giving. What was free will giving? And between Moses and Jesus, was this talked about at all? And I think it would be critical to hear this part out because as we just start discussing the Christian model giving in our next and final lesson, we receive the parallels of what we've talked about now and what we talked about in regards to the Macedonian churches. Uh, first things first, when you give an offering, the mindset should be giving the best. Numbers 18.12 says, All the best of the oil, all the best of the wine, and, and of the wheat, the first fruits of them which they shall offer unto the Lord, them have I given thee. You see what he's saying here, not only give the best, but off the top. If you were going to talk about pre-tax or post-tax giving, I would be hard-pressed to say that this text would lean toward giving off the pre-tax. Um, but as we know, this matter is truly irrelevant, as truly what you should give should come from a cheerful heart. But in regards to the first fruit in terms of crops, if, what, if, uh, what if you were concerned about giving off the top, to, talking about the people back in the day who were, this was their livelihood to eat and whatnot, because you were concerned with the fact that you don't know how the rest of your crops would be. They could die. And then, so you just gave all this crops for tithing, and now you have none to eat because you gave it all away. Well, Proverbs 3, 9, 10 says, Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. So it kind of becomes a trusting in God kind of situation. And he's not even declaring how much you should give, just that it should be out of the first fruits and off the top. And I know this is in relation to produce, but doesn't it just seem similar to what we talked about previously, that if you give, God will give back, that if you are faithful with what he has provided to you and how you handle it, he will be faithful back to you and bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. So God expected the best, but what happened when his people decided not to give him the best and instead withhold that? You remember God said to his people through the prophet Malachi how disgusted he was with them because they brought him an animal that was blind, it was a blind animal or a lame animal. They gave God what they couldn't eat and what they couldn't use to re reproduce. They gave God the lame and the maimed and the blind animal, the worst animals they had and kept the best for themselves and therefore they forfeited God's blessing and brought on themselves God's judgment. Proverbs 11:24 states, 
There's one who scatters, yet increases all the more, one who withholds what is justly due and results only in want. When you give it to God, he pours out blessings. First, first fruit is an act of faith, and that's the way God wanted his children to live since they loved him and believed in him and trusted in him, and they wanted to thank him for everything from the heart. They gave him the best. They gave him the first fruits and waited for him to respond and pour out blessings from them. That's Old Testament free will giving. Whatever you want, just make sure it's generous and it's the best. Then the Lord, in Exodus 25, 1 through 8, it reads, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Tell the sons of Israel to make a contribution for me. From everyone whose heart moves him, you shall take my contribution. This is the contribution which you are to take from them. Gold, silver, and bronze, violet, purple, and scarlet material, fine linen, goat hair, rams, skins dyed red, fine leather, acacia wood, oil for lighting, balsam oil for the anointing oil and the fragrance for incense, onyx, onyx stones and setting stones for the ephod and for the breastpiece. Have them construct a sanctuary for me so that I may dwell among them. So a little bit to unpack. First off, notice how it reads, from everyone whose heart moves him, you shall take my contribution. This wasn't a mandated offering, just whoever wanted to give him to give from their heart, they could give. And not only this, but how much was required in this giving. Whatever the person was led to give from their heart. Guy could have said right there, I demand a tenth, but he didn't. Why is that? Because just like in the New Testament to this day, the Lord is not concerned with how much you give or if it's the best or not, but the heart attitude. Are you joyful in giving? Does the heart desire to bless others out of an abundance the Lord has blessed you with? And it's interesting, because if you want to read something crazy that happened after this Exodus verse, in Exodus 36, 4 through 7, it says, And all the skillful people who were performing all the work of the sanctuary came, each from the work which they were performing. And they said to Moses, The people are bringing much more than enough for the construction work which the Lord commanded us to perform. So Moses issued a command and circulated a proclamation throughout the camp, saying, No man or woman is to perform work any longer for the contributions of the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing any more, for the material they had was sufficient and more than enough for all the work to perform it. Moses and company actually had a problem. The people were bringing too much. Could you ever imagine a church saying, please stop giving, you're giving too much here? Could you imagine that? (laughs) <laughs> please Christ the Rock Church of Valeria stop giving you're giving too much I'm being provided for too adequately the church can spend as much as they are giving for the advancement of the kingdom but that was a heart full of cheerful giving these people were doing this that it was all out of the abundance of their hearts uh, we struggle here just to give anything sorry Lord You have not been good enough to us to give. We might have countless possessions or health, salvation, but before we can give you, before we can give, you need to provide just a little bit more than maybe I'll have a cheerful heart enough to give in thanks. But scripture talks about chasing out the riches, not providing joy. And we previously talked about that. We talked about a quote, if you recall, from a billionaire who asked, how much money does it take to be happy? And he said, just a little bit more. 
How I pray we fix our hearts and our personal finances to just give out of the joy of our heart and appreciation for everything that the Lord has given us. So to start, yeah, to start wrapping up, uh, to summarize the whole point of this lesson, which was stated before, and that is there is no required amount of threshold you, you must give to the church. In the Old Testament, when tithing was required, it was required giving in the form of taxation to, the fund, to fund the national government, which is a theocracy. The three tithes took care of the government salaries, the social religious life of the nation, and the welfare system. Tithes were not, were not the gifts to God. They were the gifts to support the nation. In the New Testament, has the giving requirements changed? Here's, what, here's the command we, uh, we are given. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. What did that mean? Pay your taxes. And Jesus, and Jesus did that. And render to God the things that are God's. What did that mean? Give God whatever is in your heart to give him. What has changed is the required amount to specifically give. If you deem XXX amount to be the proper amount to give each week or a month and whatever you're, and you're doing it cheerfully, then may God bless you. But for exaggeration purposes, though I hope you bring it to scale for your own situations, if you're a millionaire and you give $10 each week that is what you, and that is what you cheerfully feel is good to give, then I would say there's a bigger issue at hand. There may not be no set amount to give, but one must still not let wealth and prosperity rule their lives. If you struggle to part with your wealth or are essentially beyond necessary, uh, you would need to deal with that while still giving. Um, but I also want to note, though there is no official amount to give, it does say in 1 Corinthians 9.14, in the same way the Lord commanded that those who pro- proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. So when we enter into membership to a church, it's a big thing. And I don't think we sometimes think about it that way. You were saying that you want to devote yourself to the body. And part of that is being responsible for the providing for your leaders. I think people willy-nilly just take membership so nonchalantly. But it's a serious commitment that you should be serious about in all ways. Either you're committed or you're not. And part of that commitment is providing for your leaders so though the exact amount is not stated what we should give, we must understand Scripture does state that we need to provide a living wage to our leader. So if everyone in the church is cheerfully giving $10 each week, we are going to fall short as a church of the requirement to provide a livable wage. Uh, then what about just loving our brothers and sisters? When we do have ones in need, the church is unable to really help financially much. In theory, in theory the deacon should be able to distribute funds as, uh, see, as we see fit to help the needy individuals, but it's really hard for us to do that when we're just trying to make ends meet with what we have. So for me, so for me the concept of giving what's left over seems incorrect. Hey God, after taxes, food, housing, bills, coffee, utilities, etc., I had $20 left over, so here you go. My token of gratitude to you. I think your offerings need to get a higher placement in your budget. But it needs to just be, or not not get a higher placement. Not only needs to get a higher placement in your budget, but let's just actually place it place it in our budgets. For the couple of people who have moved out and started living on their own, and when they were talking to me about it, one of the first things I asked you was, in regards to budgeting, if you can afford this house, is did you make sure you still have an amount to give for your offering? Is that in your budget? It's something. Especially as adult Christians, you should make, be making a place for in your finances. And if you don't, in essence, you are saying 
I know I made a commitment to the church to be a member, but I only want the benefits of the church, not the liabilities. And I'm okay with not experiencing the joy of the give, uh, joy of giving. And that's all I wrote. But then I'm going back to Malachi. And in essence, you're also kind of robbing God while you're at it. Dear Lord, Father, I just pray that um, your people heard these things and reflect on them. And that they have conviction where they need conviction. And if there's changes that they need to make in regards to their understanding of the fi- their finances and what they should be giving, that they would make these corrections. Uh, I pray that they would ultimately fix their hearts upon you and then be giving these offerings to you out of the appreciation of all that you have provided them with and wanting to be obedient and providing for the leaders and the caretaking of the church and the brothers and sisters. Just continue to sanctify us in this, and we pray this in your son's name. Amen. Hi there, this is Austin Hetzler, the pastor of Christ the Rock Church of Illyria, Ohio. We at Christ the Rock are humbled and grateful to be a part of your sanctification today as you listen to this sermon. But at the same time, we want to encourage you to be a member of a good local church and not to allow online sermons to replace the local church and to benefit from the life of that church and to give your spiritual gifts back to that church. Having said that, our website is www.christrockchurch.com. If you go there, you can find sermons, blogs, and other resources as well as our location and service times. You can also listen to the sermons on Bible Thumping Wingnut, Podbean, iTunes, Google Play Music, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Stitcher. I, along with the membership of Christ the Rock Church, pray that this sermon will be a blessing to you.